1: hello and welcome to the whispering woods podcast i'm sarah and there's no toby today i'm afraid he has got a sick bug so i'm handling this one on my own this is episode number nine and today it's all about ghost lights i've got a couple of shout outs i want to do as well first of all if i can a shout out to Flo and her mum Lou and I've also got a review to read and this review is from Johnny James 3 who says creepy stuff really enjoyed the first four episodes and looking forward to hearing more love the mixture of scary storytelling and then a little bit of light-hearted chat in between keep them coming thanks ever so much Johnny James we really appreciate these reviews Okay, I'm going to start with an introductory piece, as normal. Let's get on with this part. A variation of ghost lights exists in many cultures. In parts of the UK and America, they are known as Wool-o'-the-Wisps. And these spectral lights are said to be ghosts that haunt the moors and boglands captivating lonely travellers and leading them to their doom. The classic tale of Will-o'-the-Wisp, meaning will of the torch as a wisp is a small bunch of twigs or paper used to light the way, tells the story of a blacksmith, Will, who was so evil that at the time of his death, St. Peter sent him back to Earth and gave him a second chance at life to right his previous wrongs. Unfortunately, Will was even more vicious the second time round and St. Peter banished him to earth where his ghostly form will remain for all eternity. The devil, liking Will's wicked ways, fashioned him with a single piece of coal to keep himself warm but he used it to frighten people and lure them to their deaths. The name Jack O'Lantern originally referred to Will-o'-the-Wisps. And in Irish folklore, Jack, or Stingy Jack, was an incorrigible alcoholic, who upon the time of his death, tricked the devil into turning himself into a coin so that Jack could buy one last drink. Instead, Jack popped the devil in his pocket next to a crucifix, which prevented him from returning to his natural form. Jack bargained for another ten years of life, and after the ten years had lapsed, You are mine now. he again tricked the devil by making him climb a tree. He then took a knife and carved a crucifix into the wood, and the devil was stuck. In exchange for Jack removing the cross, the devil forgave his debt. but when it was time for him to leave this life, no one as bad as Jack was allowed entry to heaven and, out of revenge, the devil wouldn't allow him into hell, so his fate was to roam the realm between life and death with other lost souls. The devil, however, did give him an ember from the fires of hell to light his way, and Jack put it into a carved turnip to use as a lantern. In Wales, the lights are known as fairy fire, Pampuka, which is a goblin-like creature, uses the light to lure lone travellers away from the well-trodden paths and then will extinguish the fire, leaving the traveller lost on the moors. In Devil and Cornwall, they are called pixie lights. In Scotland, punky, and they take the form of a link boy or girl. Link boys were children he used a torch to guide the way for pedestrians for a small fee. In Australia, the indigenous people refer to them as Min Min lights, and they are often spotted in the outback. These sightings of the Min Min lights predate the western settlements, but have since been incorporated into wider Australian folklore. In Mexico, they are thought to be bruja, witches, and the islands of Trinidad and Tobago share this same belief. In the USA, they are the Martha Lights in West Texas. These mysterious glowing orbs change colour and will dance, disappear and reappear in different places. Many flock to Martha to catch a glimpse of this spectacle and there are numerous documented sightings. There are also the brown mountain lights which have been seen in the North Carolina mountains for over 200 years. Witnesses also report seeing them in various colours as they move in an upward direction and hover about 15 feet above the ground before disappearing and then sometimes reappearing. In most folklore, the lights appear to have malicious intent and will either lead people to their untimely demise or they act as a portent of death. So it's really interesting that these lights are seen throughout history. Obviously, scientists have said that they think they may be gases that come out of the moors and boglands, which would make sense, as this tends to be where they are predominantly seen. But obviously, with the brown mountain lights, this is a wooded area. So that wouldn't really apply also from various accounts I've read they act with a certain intelligence Um, so their movements are very specific which would be a contradiction to gases catching fire so let me know your thoughts what you think about these lights you can catch up with us on social media the links are in the podcast description I've just got one very long story to tell today So if you're ready, let's do this. I'm a 32-year-old man, yet it is broad daylight as I write this post, because what I'm about to share haunts me to this day, to the point that merely thinking about it, or in this case typing this memory, is enough to send chills down my body and make me feel like a terrified child. I have only told this story to a handful of people over the past 10 years because of how terrifying an experience it was for me. But I feel like it can be therapeutic to get it off my chest and share with others. Maybe others have had a similar experience. If so, please let me know. To tell this story and give it justice... I have to tell you of an experience that happened three years before the terrifying encounter this post is about. Buckle up, this will be a long post, but definitely not boring. My name is Joshua, but I will change the names to protect the privacy of the others involved in this story. I live in Arkansas, and in late 2003, near the middle of fall, right before it started getting really cold... My wife and I were invited to camp with a friend of mine and his girlfriend at Sugarloaf Lake in Oklahoma. I say camp, but the actual plan was to meet at Sugarloaf. And my friend, we will call him Bob, wanted to take me and my wife around to some paranormal places in the Sugarloaf area. So we got there around 7 p.m. I was driving a white Ford 1996 Bob was driving a 1980 white celebrity. It was really a piece of crap vehicle. Anywho, it was late dusk, becoming dark, and we all climbed into Bob's car, and he took us around the area. First to an abandoned house, but other than some raccoons rustling around, it was a two-hour waste of time. He then took us to a graveyard that was supposed to be haunted. Again, bust then an old church that was run down and supposed to be haunted. Once again, yawn. At this point, it was getting close to midnight, and my wife and I were getting pretty bored, and I spoke up to Bob, saying, "Man, this really hasn't been that freaky of a night. That's when Bob smiled, saying he was saving the best for last. He handed me a Polaroid picture of a hillside covered in trees and daylight, I asked him what it was and he asked me if I saw a house or any type of light pole or anything in the picture, to which I replied, no. He took the picture back and said that's because there isn't and there are no power lines either. About this time he turned down an old dirt road and passed a small house. Then after that it was two miles of dirt road with woods on one side and a barbed wire fence on the other with about two acres of field connecting to a wooded hillside. Nothing to light the night sky except the full moon above head and the clear starry sky. After what seemed like forever, he stopped the car and told us all to get out. We did as he asked. He walked us to the side of the car where the fence, field and wooded hillside was. He looked at his cell phone which his phone and mine had no signal. This was 2003 and this area had no cell towers but he looked at his phone and it said it was 11.57 and told us to watch the middle of the hillside. Even at complete dark I could tell this was the same field and hillside from the picture. Two minutes go by and nothing has changed. Then exactly midnight a small light flickers on in the middle of the hillside. A chill runs down my back as my wife, Bob, his girlfriend and myself watch as this small light, which to me looked like an old kerosene lantern, began to move, swaying back and forth. We sat and watched in complete silence for what seemed like several minutes when I finally spoke up and asked what the story was with this. Bob replied he did not know, but locals had told him that at midnight, every night, this lantern will light up and sway back and forth through the woods, until the sun comes up, and it disappears. Nobody knew what the story was. At the time, I was a 19-year-old guy who didn't think anything could scare me or hurt me. So since there was no houses around, I yelled, We see you! Wow, you are so scary with your little lantern. Bob shushed me, but it was too late. My wife screamed and pointed. I was laughing, but my laughing stopped as I looked to the hillside to see the lantern swaying back and forth, but moving down the hillside to the field at an inhuman pace. Gliding, it began to speed across the field towards our car. We didn't stick around to see what it was because within seconds we were in the car and flying down the dirt road back to the lake. We looked back to see the lantern moving slowly back up the hillside to where it first appeared. The ride back was silent until Bob spoke up saying, Crap, I forgot to put gas in earlier and the only store around is closed. And if we decided to go back anywhere it'd be best to take my truck until he could get gas in the morning as he only had about half a quarter tank. I said okay and a few minutes later we arrived back at Sugarloaf Lake. We had parked by the lake docks and we dropped my tailgate and sat and talked about what had just happened. Bob's girlfriend was pregnant at the time and told him she was hungry. He told her we had bought some snacks, but she said she needed actual food. But since the local store was closed, he asked if we could take my truck to the next town over to get some food, because his car wouldn't have enough gas to get us to that town. I obliged. We shut our cooler, put the tailgate up and loaded into my truck. I turned the key and nothing happened. My truck was dead. Deader than dead. Dead. No ding, no lights, no clicking noise, nothing. For all intents and purposes, you would think the alternator was gone. This was strange, and after the night we had, it made us all feel uneasy. We got out of the truck and popped the hood, pulling Bob's car round to the front and attempted to jump my truck with his car. This is where it gets even weirder, As soon as we connect the jumper cables to his battery, and mine and his girlfriend start his car. And within a second, the cables in between the connectors start to smoke. And in a flash of fire, they burn up within seconds. The cables were nothing more than bits of melted rubber and ash, with only the end clamps still on our batteries. Bob runs and turns off his car, and we take the clamps off our batteries. We look at each other in the eerie moon's starlit night. Did I mention there was no light poles around? And we both got a feeling at the exact same time as we suddenly realised we had been hearing a distant noise in the lake that was getting louder. It was a boat motor. Now, like I said, this was the time of year it was starting to get cold, especially at night. We were bundled up as it was and we were standing still on land at night somebody was out on a boat after midnight when it had to be chilly us all get out with the wind hitting them and from the sound of this motor it's going pretty fast but we saw nothing that is until the boat was about 50 yards away and a very bright spotlight comes on temporarily blinding us all Bob and I tell the women to get in the car and lock the doors I reach into the bed of my truck and give Bob a tire tool and pick up another I work at a tyre shop and had all kinds of tools of the trade in my truck we were standing in front of vehicles in the middle the hood's up on both as the boat pulls up to the dock and two heavily bearded men in their 30s to 40s step out of the boat and walk up it's hard to give an accurate description as their spotlight was still pointing at us and it covered the men in an eerie shadow whilst blinding Bob and I They looked at us, and our vehicles, and one glances in the direction of the car at the women, then back at us, and lets out a small chuckle. "'You fellas got some sort of car trouble?' one asks as he lights up a cigarette. "'Yeah, but it's nothing we can't handle,' I stammer. The guy with the cigarette sniffs the air and looks down between Bob and I's feet and sees the still-smoking ashes of what was the jumper cable.' Looks like it was more than your pussy jumper cables could handle. You all need some help? We got some tools on the boat that I think can fix you guys' problems right up. Then the other man, who had chuckled in the beginning, says, Hmm, fix them right up. I am speechless at this moment, probably with my mouth hanging open. I can't remember. As the two men walk back to their boat and we hear what sounds like chains rattling around, as we tried to make out what they are doing but the spotlight is so blinding we can barely see. But the chain noise was enough. Bob looked at me and without saying a word we both jumped in his car and drove the hell out of there. For the next few hours we drove to a populated area of the houses which wasn't many in the rural area. We were pretty much stuck since we had very little fuel but we all sat in the car, mostly quiet, looking around in all directions, in near panic thinking that at any time those men would find us. Bob would turn on his lights every now and then, thinking he had seen some movement in the dark. After a while, the women fell asleep and Bob and I talked about how weird this whole ordeal had been and he laughed saying, I told you it would be a scary night. I just didn't know it would be this sort of scary at this point the paranormal lantern wasn't even the main thing freaking me out but the men never showed and eventually the morning was on its way and it was about 20 minutes until sunrise and Bob asked if I wanted to go see if the lantern really disappears at sunrise I asked if he was sure he had enough gas and he said yeah the local store opens up in about an hour so we'll be fine I tell him in that case yeah. We wake the women up and drive back to the hillside. We get there with about 4 minutes left until sunrise. We still see the lantern swaying in the woods. Bob looks at me and I smile and do the motion for zipping my lips and we all watch in wonder as right at sunrise the lantern slowly fades away to nothing. After this we get back in the car and drive back to the lake feeling safer now. When we get there, there is no sign of the boat, and the hood of my truck is still up and doors are still locked. On a whim I tell Bob I'm going to try and start the truck one more time before he drives us somewhere where I can get cell signal and call for help. And I'll be damned. The truck started right up with no hesitation or problem. We all went our separate ways happy to have seen the sunrise and counting our blessings and swearing to leave the paranormal investigating in this area to others also swearing that we never wanted to come back to this area and run into the boat people again however, all these things fade with time even fear and common sense three years later Bob, who I hadn't seen in almost two years at that point calls me up and says he has a proposition for me He goes on to tell me he has a group of himself and three other Wiccans who go out and do seances in haunted places and ask me if I would be willing to film their sessions in the haunted places for their records and that they would pay me well for the services. I'm no Wiccan, but I'd always loved the paranormal, even after what I went through at Sugarloaf. I still had an itch to scratch when it came to getting scared and dealing with the paranormal and the unknown told him yes I would love to film for them but I had no interest in joining in if that was okay that I was okay with watching and just getting to be out there looking into the paranormal again so of course my next question was when and where are we going to be doing this at first when he answered me I got a terrible gut feeling and I wished so much that I had trusted my gut and told him I changed my mind remember that lantern light out near Sugarloaf he asked me as if there was any way I could ever forget yeah I stammered why do you ask I told my group the story and they want to do the ritual there and see if we can contact the spirit and find out why it's there and what it wants Bob replied I don't know man I said oh come on Josh trust me you'll be safe and I'm going to pay you $250 just to sit there and film it he retorted At the time, I was about to become a father and money was tight because diapers, formula and the like cost a small fortune. Not to mention it was my first kid and my new wife's first kid. So she'd been going crazy spending money on not just the necessities but also buying only top-of-the-line baby products like toys, crib, playpen, baby monitors, stroller, car seat, accommodation pack and play-changing table, diaper genie and designer baby clothes. So, because my wife was putting us in the poorhouse, I had to weigh out my fear of the area he wanted to go back to. With how important it was, I make all the extra money I could. So against my better judgment, I accepted the offer. And a week later, I was in the same beatdown celebrity Bob was driving three years before. This time with Bob and two guys and one girl that were complete strangers to me. They each were dressed very gothic and had these pentagram necklaces or something of that sort. It was 11.50 when we got there and the four of them sat in a tight circle and I was behind them to the right about five feet from the barbed fence that was in front of the field that led to the hillside. And my back was to the hillside and bushes at the fence line and I was filming my friend's circle as they all started chanting something As I've been typing this entire post, I've been getting knots in my stomach knowing that I was coming to this part of the story. This part of the story haunts my dreams and even waking hours to this day. I'm going to do my best to describe how the following events unfolded, though I know mere words cannot do justice to the pure terror that ensued or how horribly horrific the events sounded and were. So when reading or listening to this, turn your imagination all the way up. And believe me when I say, up to this point in my life, I was interested in the paranormal. It was a fun hobby to go out ghost hunting or getting myself spooked or whatever. But after this night, I never look at the paranormal as fun or interesting anymore. I show it respect and stay as far away as possible. As much as I dread it, I would now finish telling this story. As his group is chanting, Bob lights up this huge candle in the middle of them and opens up some sort of book. It's not like a scary antique spell book or anything. It looks like a newer hardcover. Anyway, he starts reciting words from it and then he looks at his phone and tells his group to be quiet and look at the hill. I turn the camera and at midnight, on the dot, the lantern appears. One member of Bob's group blurts out, Cool! i roll my eyes, since the way these people were dressed and the way they carried themselves, the word cool didn't seem to fit in their vocabulary. Then Bob says to the group to join hands as they attempt to communicate with the spirit. I turn my back to the light and begin to film the group as they began again chanting and Bob reads from the book. Then they start asking questions in hopes the spirit will respond. About this time, a wind picks up and Bob's candles go out. He tells everyone to hold on and tells me, cut the camera for a minute. And I oblige and stop recording and watch as Bob tries his lighter, then two lighters from his group, but none of the lighters are working. I'm sitting down watching the group and I start hearing a rustling behind me. I jump up, leaving the camera on the ground, and spin around. Bob and his group are preoccupied with their candle and light problem, and as I spin around, I am blinded by the brightest light I have ever seen. What I believe was the lantern, up close and personal. But as quick as it appears, the light is gone, and the lantern is nowhere to be seen. If it had been the lantern that blinded me, it had moved from the hillside across the field and right behind me with me not realising it in a span of maybe 30 seconds. I look around for the lantern on the hillside and nothing. It's only 12.15 or so and the light has always stayed until sunrise. At this moment, the wind quits blowing and I hear Bob's lighter finally flick and I see it light up and I mutter um guys did you see that they all turn and ask what I'm talking about but before I can answer them we're all stopped dead in our tracks by a distant laughter coming from seemingly nowhere and everywhere around us but distant at the moment like far off and this is no ordinary laughter this laughter sounds like the laughter of hundreds maybe even thousands of children that haunt me to this very moment As I type this, I am looking around the room I am in. Whenever I think or talk about this experience, I can vividly remember that terrifying sound and hear it in my head. Also, it just occurred to me, if you put the letter S at the beginning of laughter, it spells slaughter. Why did I just think that? The best way I can describe this laughter is for you to imagine listening to a large group of kids singing row, row, row your boat. You know, how one kid will start and seconds later another will join in, starting at the beginning of the song, and so on and so forth. Well, this sounded, like I said, like hundreds or thousands of children laughing, as if one would start laughing and seconds later another would. And that pattern went on in an endless loop. I'm not saying the laughter sounded like the song, Row, 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 Your Boat, I am saying they laughed in unison, just like kids do when singing, row, row, row your boat. One would start, then seconds later, another one would, then another, and another, and another. And the laughter was getting louder, closer. There was a sinister laughing, goofy laughing, giggling all around us, coming from all directions. I was shaking. I could not move. I was spinning around and around looking off in the distance. This couldn't be real. This sort of thing does not happen. What the hell was happening? I scream at Bob and his group that we need to get the hell out of there. But they are already running for the car, leaving their wick and book and candle behind. And without hesitation, I run after them and jump in the car just as the laughter is becoming deafening. We haul ours out of there and drive about a mile up the road and pull over as Bob is in no condition to drive as we're all freaked out. We all get out of the car pacing around, asking each other if we really just heard what we heard. I tell Bob that I'm sorry but I left the camera behind. He says he does not care and that he isn't going back for it. At this point, I got my hands on my knees, panting, trying to catch my breath, as I have never in my life been so terrified. That's when all of our chatter stops, as we once again hear the laughter off in the distance, very quietly at first, but slowly getting closer and closer and louder and louder, until once again it becomes deafening. We jump back in the car and speed away. We drive about six miles, and for the first three miles, we can all still hear the laughter in the distance with our windows down a little. We all begin to calm a little by mile four, when the laughter can no longer be heard, but we have no intention of pulling over again, and Bob's friend is in the passenger seat with his phone, waiting for a signal to pop up. And at about mile six, Bob's friend says, hey, I got four bars. And he hands the phone to Bob and he calls a friend of his who is into the occult and well-versed and educated in it. And as we were driving, he is describing what happened to the lady. Bob later told me his friend told him she believed it was the children of Hecate. or Something like that. I have no idea about what Hecate is, but it sounded like more of a guess to me. Anyways... As Bob is on the phone speeding out of the area, me and the other two people in the back seat all get a chill at the same time. And then they told me later that just like me, the hair on the back of their necks stood up as a loud snapping noise comes from the front end of the car and Bob's celebrity stops dead in its tracks and will no longer move forward. He tries everything but the car is not moving We later discovered that a tie rod had snapped. Anyways, the friend Bob was talking to on the phone only lived about 20 minutes away from where we were, and they said they were on their way. As we sat in the car, nobody spoke, and after about three minutes we saw a pair of headlights coming down the road towards us. We knew it was too soon to be Bob's friend, but me and Bob thought maybe we could get a ride from a local and we all unloaded out the car and stood in front of it, waiting on the vehicle to hopefully stop. Now, I cannot be certain, but my gut tells me I am correct. But the vehicle doesn't stop, but as it comes into view, it's a beat-up old pickup truck, and it slows down, and in the truck are two men in their thirties to forties, with huge beards, and they stare at us and speed up after passing by. I look at Bob and before I can speak he says what I was already thinking. The guys in the boat. Before I can say anything back, we see headlights coming from the direction the truck that passed by just went. And we went still and quiet as the same guys in the same truck passed by slowly. Again staring at us on the side of the road. Bob called his friend back and told her to drive like hell and get here now and hung up. Four or five minutes go by, and we see headlights coming. Relieved we all get our stuff ready, thinking it's Bob's friend. Then his phone rings. It was the lady who was coming to get us, telling Bob she took a wrong turn, and it's going to be about 10 to 15 more minutes before she gets there. Bob hangs up the phone, and watches in terror, as do I, as the same truck slowly passes by again. This time, with only one of the boatmen in the truck. The driver slows to a crawl and says, Looks like you fellas could use some help, and then speeds up and drives off. This cemented the fact, Bob and I, that we were definitely dealing with the boat guys. But where the hell did the other guy go? Why wasn't he in the passenger seat? And to make matters worse, at this point, Something we had almost completely forgot about due to the boatmen was immediately reminded to us as we began to hear the laughter again, off in the distance, but all around us like before. And over the next few minutes, it started getting closer and closer. I almost peed my pants as the sound is getting deafening and we have nowhere to run this time. And then from behind our car, off in the distance we see two sets of headlights come on and two vehicles coming towards us slowly, side by side, taking up the entire width of the backcountry dirt road, both coming our way. The laughter now seems to be coming from the woods on both sides of the road and the laughing seems to be zeroing in on us as if hundreds or thousands of children are within reaching distance of us. There is no wind No sound other than the crunch of tyres on the rocky dirt road of the two vehicles slowly driving towards us. With our last shred of hope fading away into the laughter of the children and the headlights of the two vehicles surely being driven by the boatmen, we are given a reprieve as this time, coming from the other direction, we see another set of headlights coming fast. We hold our breath. The laughter, the boatmen. What could be next? How will we get out of this? And that is when the vehicle that was coming fast pulls up and is Bob's friend. She unlocks her car doors and rolls her windows down and begins to tell us to get in. When this happens, the two sets of headlights coming from the other direction turn off and Bob's friend says, Oh my God, you weren't kidding about the laughing kids. She screams at us to get in and we do. We begin to tell her about the boat guys and she turns the car around and no sooner than she starts to drive away the two sets of headlights come on again this time with their brights on and they are about a car length behind us. I yell to the driver go, go, go channeling my inner Jeff Goldblum telling her faster, must go faster she floors it and for about a mile the two vehicles stay on our ass then they turn off into a side road. For about the next two miles after that, we can all hear the laughter still way off in the distance with our windows sound. Then after three miles, the laughter was gone. To this day, I have no explanation to what happened. What the laughing children were. Why the laughing followed us. If the boatmen were connected to all this somehow or if they were merely a coincidence that happened to terrify us at the same time as the paranormal stuff was happening. And if that is the case, why did they not react to the laughing children sound? Is the lantern connected to the laughing children? Or did Bob and his group mistakenly call forth the laughing children through their ritual? Like I said, this happened years ago, but I still feel just as terrified now when I tell people about it or think about it. I've had constant chills and goosebumps as I've written this. I'm sorry for typos or grammar issues, but I am a bit shaky as well. I'm going to post this story as is, and I hope it is readable. And I hope somebody who reads this and has had a similar experience can share their story with me. In a weird way, I believe that would help me. To deal with the trauma this experience still causes me to this day. To all of you who think the paranormal is just a fun hobby to get your thrills with, I beg of you and I warn you that we are not prepared for what is really out there. You can think nothing will scare you or harm you, but you are dealing with unknown things. You have no idea how powerful or mundane the paranormal can be. And that brings us to the end of episode number nine. It's been a bit awkward, actually, because I've been talking to myself. But I hope you enjoyed it just the same. And we'll both be back next week. Take care,
0: everyone.